Well, this morning we have a great privilege to hear God's word preached from Dr. Bruce Bogus. Now, for those of you who do not uh, know Bruce, he and his wife, Tricia, have been with us just for a few years. Bruce was uh, the interim pastor at Trinity Presbyterian Church uh, from 2019 to 2021. Uh, he's been here in the Jackson area as a professor of systematic theology and ethics and philosophy at RTS uh, since 2008. Uh, and they have two sons, uh, Nathaniel and Bryant. Tricia, as you know, is our uh, administrative assistant here at Pear Orchard. Uh, but in God's providence, uh, they have been uh, called away from the area. They're going to be going up to Grand Rapids, where Bruce will be uh, teaching at Puritan Reform Theological Seminary. Uh, and so this is uh, our, our last opportunity to hear uh, Bruce preach uh, on the Lord's Day here, unless we bring you back sometime, perhaps. Uh, it's been a great privilege to get to know Bruce over these past eight years. Uh, you'll notice in your bulletin that we are going to have a farewell reception for the Bogases uh, Sunday evening, the 22nd, uh, to be able to say goodbye before they head up, head up north. So Bruce, come bring us God's word. Thank you for your ministry, brother. I thank Caleb and the pastoral staff and the session here for the opportunity to come and preach. Today, I would like to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 7 with me. We're continuing the series through Roman for this week. And we come now to a well-known passage, a passage that in my circles, in the circles of the Christian Academy, is much Discussed and hotly debated at times and in some quarters. We have the privilege of being able to hear it as we've been working our way through Romans and have everything up to this point behind us. We're beginning with verse 14 and reading to the end of the chapter. Please give attention now to the word of God as I read it to us. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who would deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your apostle's transparency as he discusses, as he puts his own heart and his own inner self out before us so clearly and vividly and stunningly. 
in this text. We thank you for the example that he gives us here of how to consider himself dead to sin but alive to God. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We pray that you would take this word now and that you would apply it into our hearts and into our minds, that you would shape us and mold us and make us more into the likeness of Christ, that your spirit would have reign to do what only your spirit can do as you further that great work of salvation that you have begun in all those who have called upon Jesus Christ. Do it now as you meet with us, we ask in Christ's name and to the praise of his glory. Amen. There are certain places in life where you might dread the news that you're about to receive. We've all probably been someplace or other. We know that sense of dread and expectation of some terrible news that we imagine, at least, to be coming our way. There's a couple places that are sort of common, that come to mind quickly when we think about the possibility of hearing dreadful news. Perhaps we've never been in these places ourselves, or perhaps we have. One is the courtroom, when the matter is grave, and the case has been heard and tried, and the jury has gone out, and now they have returned, and, and that life-defining verdict is about to be read. Another place would be maybe the doctor's office, the medical room. Something has been wrong, something has come up that's suspicious, and the tests have been run, and the doctor enters, and you're trying to read the doctor's face. It looks sober. Anyone who has any stretch of life behind them has some sense of dread, the dread of terrible news, the dread that attends those moments in the courtroom and in the doctor's office knows the gut-wrenching feeling of anticipating the thing that you don't want to hear. Because these are not the only places, of course. There's many other places in life where we encounter this. But church is not one of those places, is it? Or is it? Church is where we come to be comforted and encouraged in a very difficult life sometimes. Church is where we come to hear good news. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the best news that has ever been proclaimed in this fallen world. And yet, I come to you this morning with some very terrible news. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) I bring you good news, too. I bring you unimaginably good news. Good news far, far greater than the bad news that I must deliver. But to get to that good news and to appreciate the scope and the fullness and the weight of that good news... And how fantastically good it actually is, we must first come to terms with the terribleness of the bad news. The terrible news. And the terrible news in the first instance is as terrible as it can possibly be. No news ever delivered in any court or in any office, doctor's office, can touch it, can come close to it, can approach it. And Paul has been very blunt with us about that news in earlier chapters in his letter to the Romans. We are all sinners and have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve eternal damnation. You and me, our parents and grandparents, our children and grandchildren, from the person that you think the least of in this life to the person that you think 
the most of and everyone in between. We are all conceived in sin, born in sin, dead in sin, without God and without hope in this world, apart from Christ, of course. As Paul himself says, calling passages from the Old Testament, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They, that is we, have become worthless. Worthless is a very strong word. Worthless in the sense that we are altogether useless. Useless when measured against our created purpose. Useless in knowing and enjoying God. Useless in in living to the praise of his glory. Useless in bringing others to know him and to enjoy him. We are in our fallen state, useless in our very humanity, spiritually dead and morally depraved, children of wrath, enemies of God, and all that is right and good and true. And this verdict is not from some civil magistrate somewhere. It's not even from Paul, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just the messenger. The verdict is from God himself, the supreme and the final judge whose judgments cannot be appealed or broken or overturned. This is what sin has done to us. This is the place where it has brought us. This is what it is to be a sinner. But I hope somewhere in your soul there's some faithful part of you that is crying out in a kind of protest at sorts at this moment. You're not giving us the whole story here, preacher. Jesus Christ, the sinless, has been crucified for us and our salvation and rose again on the third day and now reigns over all things, willing and able to save everyone who calls upon him. Jesus has taken up our case and satisfied all of God's just demands for us in our place. He who knew no sin has become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You must preach this too, preacher, right? This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the good news that trumps the terrible news. And you are absolutely right. You've been taught these things. You know these things. You believe these things, I pray and hope and am convinced. And you're absolutely right about it all. God has done for us in Christ what we could not do for ourselves. The eternal Son of God has come to us and become one with us. He has fulfilled the law to absolute perfection, not leaving one point of it undone, neglected, overlooked. He has loved God and us with a perfect love. And in doing so, he has earned the right to eternal life under that old covenant of works as a man for men, for his people, fulfilling the terms of that old covenant on our behalf. And he did not only fulfill the law's positive demands, but then he went further, as it were, and submitted to its penalty, its curse to death itself a death that had no claim on him, that he died for us who, are sold, who have sold ourselves to sin just like we read about Ahab and deserve to die. 
Jesus Christ has offered himself up to death on a cross and died our death in our place for our salvation. He is the perfect satisfaction for sin. In him, we have absolute forgiveness of all sin. And in him, we are counted absolutely righteous in God's sight. As Paul so stunningly puts it in the very next verse after the end of our reading this morning, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. Not for your past sins, not for your present sins, not even for your future sins if you are in Christ and trusting in him for your eternal salvation. Everyone who is united to Christ through faith is already judged. In him, the guilty verdict you deserved has fallen on him, and the righteous verdict that he deserved has been declared over you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation is justified in God's sight by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's the end of the story. That's the end of the whole matter. Wrapped up, verdict announced, good news, bad news averted by a greater good news, right? But brothers and sisters, all of this belongs to the courtroom. And here, Paul is turning our attention. We have gone from the courtroom straight out of that good news that we've just heard that Christ's righteousness has been credited to us. And here, Paul has been working now for some chapters to bring us into the doctor's office. And it's as though we've been gone from the euphoria of being declared Righteous in God's court into being declared the terminal case in his medical exam. We may be free from the guilt of the law's condemnation, but sin remains. Sin remains. Here's Paul, the apostle, a man justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, just as we are. Indeed, the great champion, we might say, of that very truth in the earliest generation of the church of Christ. And he's looking to himself, looking into himself, and describing his condition, not his legal standing, but his moral condition. And it is grim. We might say it's as grim as his legal standing once was. Here's what the medical exam has disclosed. I am of flesh, sold under sin. Nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. And it leaves Paul, the regenerate, justified, and useful, very useful apostle of Christ, asking openly a kind of exasperated question, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's his present condition in this body of death. The law of God no longer has any power to condemn him, but it certainly continues to expose the reality of indwelling sin within him. As Caleb preached last week, the real villain here is not the law, it's sin. The law demonstrates, instigates, and aggravates sin. To be sure, if we were not sinners, the law would have not had any of these effects on us. There would be nothing to demonstrate in us without sin but righteousness. Nothing to instigate but loving obedience and useful service. 
and nothing to aggravate or to enhance or intensify, but a life lived to the glory of God in an ever fuller and richer enjoyment of him. Now, the villain is sin, sin within, indwelling sin. And that's what the law clearly shows remains within each one of us. Like a cancer that has spread to every organ of the body and is beyond the reach of every humanly contrived therapy, there it is in us, restless and relentless. Like a law unto itself, a principle within us sold out to sin, set against the law of God, and waging war against the new creation we are in Christ Jesus. Sin. That same sin that deserves eternal damnation still dwells within us, within us, brothers and sisters, who by God's grace now hate it, hate sin and all of its ways and workings within us, who agree with the law now by God's grace alone, that it is good and right and true, that it is holy and altogether spiritual. And we see in that law the perfection of love and the perfection of liberty, the beauty of Christ-likeness, the Christ-likeness that we long to see in all those that we love and that we long to be ourselves. Within us, brothers and sisters, who have been born again to a living hope in our new creations in Christ Jesus, who have been delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Christ, who have been baptized into Christ's death and raised with him, and are now enabled by the Spirit of God to walk in the newness of life, to begin to become like Christ, truly and really, in this life, to begin to live like the kind of people the law describes and does not condemn. And yet, despite all of these wonderful and rich blessings that we already enjoy and this work of God's saving grace in us, we find with Paul that sin remains within us indwelling us in all of its hateful ugliness at work with law-like power and constancy, restless and relentless in its craving for what is, in fact, evil. And you know this is true. It may be news of a sorts, but it's not new news, at least not for anyone who has walked any distance at all as a pilgrim of faith in this world. Paul knows what he's talking about from personal experience, and he's using and drawing on his own personal experience here to lay it out before us. And we know what he is talking about from our own personal experience, too. Those who are in Christ know the constant warfare that is within us. And we've come to see that it's not just us against the world, it's us against us, as it were. It's us against the sin that still indwells us and, and continues to desire what is not right and what we hate and despise. And yet there it is, constantly at work and constantly to be contended with. We know the unceasing struggle with sinful desires and temptations. And we know the ordeal of it all. The ordeal unbelievers do not know. They have no experience of this like we do. 
It's an ordeal that is unique to those who are spiritually alive, who love God and delight in his word and walk in the light of the gospel. You become a Christian and you enter into a warfare that's been raging that you didn't even know existed until you came to see Christ and to love him for yourself. Sin to us is no longer our joy, but our great sorrow. It's no longer our delight, but the anguish of our soul. It's no longer our embraced identity, but it's our despised enemy. As Caleb was saying to the children this morning. And you can hear the ordeal of it in Paul's words. Wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? Who would deliver us from this carcass of of a crucified sinner that we drag around with us the rest of our pilgrimage of faith on this earth. Who would deliver me from this principle of death that wants to enslave us again, to take us captive, and to make us subject to its powers, to the power of sin? Who would deliver us from this fleshly self that is sold under sin? Who would deliver us from the Ahab within us, each one of us? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul answers. That's his answer to his own exasperated question. His question might have a a, a bit, a sense of the exasperation, the the ordeal, the, the tiring, wearing ordeal of it all. But notice that his answer is neither presumptuous, nothing to see here, don't need to hear what the doctor has to say about your condition. There's, don't worry about this. This is no big deal. You've already been justified. Just, just focus on that. Keep moving. Nothing here. Nor is it despairing. As if there's no answer in the gospel, in Christ, for this terrible condition we find ourselves in, even now, in, with indwelling sin, sin within us. No, he doesn't give himself over to despair, nor does he just coast through on presumption. His answer is a faith-filled answer. It is an answer full of hope. It is an answer of great expectation and anticipation. Jesus Christ is the answer because he is our Savior. He is the answer to our wretched condition. He's not just our advocate in the divine courtroom but also our deliverer, our mighty conquering deliverer from our great enemy in this life. Jesus Christ saves us, and he saves us to the uttermost. He saves us completely and perfectly and wholly and absolutely. He saves us now as we walk in this pilgrim way, and he saves us forever for eternity. We are not, brothers and sisters, justified by Christ and then left to the power of sin to ravish us the rest of our days. We are not, in other words, justified by Christ just to be justified, as though that's the end of it all. Justification is something of a beginning, if you will. Justification is only one of many blessings of the gospel. One of Christ's many, many saving benefits that are lavished on us By the grace of God alone. The same Savior who justifies us also sanctifies us. But our sanctification is not like our justification. 
Justification is an act of God. It's a decree. It's a verdict that's pronounced. Your legal standing is changed, and that is that. But your sanctification deals with the condition of being a sinner, of sin that still remains and dwells within you. And the same Savior who sanctifies us will also glorify us. As I say, justification is a legal act, a verdict rendered once and for all. Sanctification is an ongoing and progressive work of God, and it will continue through the rest of our days. And it is realized through the ordeal, the struggle, the warfare itself against sin, the warfare within us in which Christ is giving us the victory, one victory after another, one step after another in this pilgrim way. A victory that you had no possibility of before you were born again to the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And your path of one victory over sin, followed by another, followed by another, of putting it to death, of renouncing it, of, of turning it back, will continue through to the end till we are made perfect forever, till we are delivered once and for all from this body of sin, from this body of death for eternity. Jesus Christ is a perfect and perfectly sufficient Savior who saves us not only from our condemnation, but also delivers us from our wretched condition, from the power of indwelling sin with all of its corrupt desires and twisted passions. And he is delivering you. He is delivering you in every moment from this body of death. Delivering you now in this present life, training you to renounce all ungodliness, as we read from Titus. Empowering you to deny every temptation, enabling you to mortify every sinful impulse in your soul. And as I say, he will deliver you forever on the day when he returns in glory and commands the dead to rise and perfects his love in you forever and ever throughout the endless age to come when he will lavish on you kindness upon kindness in Christ Jesus. Who will deliver you from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what do you do? Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Sin may still indwell you, but it has no claim to you and no power to enslave you. It is not who you are in Christ, and it is not your master or your owner. You belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. You have been bought with a price, and he will keep all who are his. So be ruthless in your warfare. Give no quarter to sin wherever you find it within you. It may seem ever so fierce, but it is a defeated foe, brothers and sisters. What remains of it is already perishing, crucified with Christ. So don't lose heart. Be overcoming it. Be leaving it behind. Be turning away from it. Be putting it to death daily. Daily. 
Christ is your Savior, and he is delivering you from the Ahab within you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, we thank you that we have a greater good news than the terrible news. We thank you that you love us enough to not leave us in ignorance of the bad news, but we thank you that you are the all-sufficient Savior of sinners who saves us to the uttermost in Jesus Christ. Give us even greater confidence in Christ. Fill us with even greater anticipation for that coming day when we will be set free from this body of death forever and in the very presence of the one who has loved us so perfectly and saved us so completely. Give us patience. Give us endurance. Give us perseverance. Give us that faith that lays hold of Christ and never lets go. We ask in his name and to the praise of his glory. Amen.